Let's go in our Bibles uh, to the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter three is where we're going this morning. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. What a great verse. I'm going to put that one on the refrigerator. My God, I felt the Holy Ghost, didn't you? Wives, let's all repeat that. Sharice, I'd like for you to come read this verse. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, listen to this, even if they're lost, even if they're not living right, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, that that there's something about her spirit that doesn't turn them off, but actually they just wake up one day and they see you going to church, going to church by yourself, and you just keep coming. And that's who I kind of was referring to. You may be a wife here and your husband is not standing in that place of leadership yet. But boy, if you get the right spirit about it, not angry, not manipulating and trying to, you know, bash him, but listen to it. If you get the right spirit, the Bible says he'll be one without a word, without you saying there's something about your spirit that wins him. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious, ladies, in the eyes and sight of God. For in this manner, in former things, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid of any terror. Then he switches and he says in verse 7, Husbands likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor. Everybody say those two words, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that, or a little warning on the end, that your prayers may not be hindered. Powerful, powerful instructions. I'm preaching today this message on the marriage and the family and the home. And I know that what I'm really preaching on is the, the greatest miracle of marriage. And it's not love at first sight. The greatest miracle of marriage is love after a long, long look. A lot of people fall in love at first sight, but then they end up in a divorce. But how do we hold it together for the long, long look? Instead of just being in love at first sight, but staying in love and staying together and loving one another as God intended us to do. How do you not just fall in love, that's the easy part, but stay in love? How do you keep the honey in the honeymoon? How do you do it? Well, 
First Peter chapter 3 is centered around a couple, a famous couple in the Bible. Their name is Abraham and Sarah. And they were a couple in the Bible that I think it's important to underscore they were not a perfect couple. That brings hope to me. That brings hope to you. Their life, their family was not ideal and was by no means perfect. As a matter of fact, they had family pressure. You know that Abraham's father was an idol maker. He literally made statues and idols to worship. So when they got religious and they became people of one God, can you imagine the pressure from the family? What is wrong with you? You've gone to that church. You've gotten your life right with God. We don't want to hear about you. All of that was going on in Abraham and Sarah's marriage. They lived in a tent, the Bible said. They never had a permanent dwelling place. They were constantly packing up and moving, constantly had that kind of pressure on them. They had an ugly part of their marital relationship when out of desperation, a third person came into the marriage. Her name was Hagar, and Abraham slept with her and produced a child named Ishmael. And so now they have a blended family living in the same house, and all of this is going on, the contention. The Bible said there was bickering and fussing and fighting inside the home, so much so that Sarah rose up and said, put that boy, that, that the, the blended family was not working. They were working probably against each other. And the Bible is very clear. I don't have time to just show you everything, but it's there. They were fussing and fighting. And finally, Sarah said, it's me or them. Get it was, Something's got to give here. We can't do it. There were all of this, we think these people were so holy. They were walking on clouds. They were fussing and fighting and contention going on all in their home. If you think that's not enough, then add to that the difficulty of raising children. And they didn't do it well. And then you see that Abraham lied about his wife when they went and Pharaoh saw uh, his, his wife and Sarah was 80 years old and she was so beautiful and so shapely and so gorgeous that the king wanted her at 80 years of age. And the Bible said, Abraham, instead of standing up and saying, that's my woman, you're not taking my wife. They, that when the king said, I want her fearing for his own life, not thinking of his wife, men can be extremely selfish thinking about himself. He said, she's not my wife. She's my sister. You can have her. Do you think she just got over that? Do you think that they just, once they got, uh, you know, God showed up in a dream, scared the king to death. He said, why, does, why have you lied to me? Let her go back to her wife. You're not who, you, who he said. But do you think she just went right back and said, uh, come into my arms. I love you so much. I don't think so. I think she was ticked, don't you? Say amen, somebody. So he was a man of faith, but he was not perfect. I love the fact that they go through the seasons together. They started out at a young age at a married couple, and then the Bible shows them as a middle-aged couple, and then the Bible shows them and finishes their story in old age, Abraham being 100 and Sarah 99 when she got pregnant. So you talk about something amazing. So youth looks forward, and age, old age looks backward and middle age looks worried. Amen. And so they went through youth together. They went through middle age together. They went through old age. And here's my point. And they made it. 
They didn't have a perfect family. They didn't have a perfect marriage. They had all kinds of situations. They had a third party get in it. They had the blended family complications. They had all kinds of challenges, but they made it. Their marriage made it, and yours can too. Nobody has a perfect marriage. But we see in 1 Peter chapter 3 themes, and I'm going to give you real quickly seven ingredients that we must have for our marriage to last the distance. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5 talks about how that they trusted in God. In verse 7, it talks about how they were heirs together in the grace of life. It's very obvious when you read the text that in spite of their faults, they had an unbreakable faith in God. The first word I want you to write down if you're taking notes is if you want to have a blessed and a long-lasting marriage, you must have faith in God. They had an unbreakable faith that their problems couldn't, couldn't break their faith. And faith is the key. The Bible puts it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12. It says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. A three-stranded cord, one, one strand of the cord may break. But if you put two and intertwine them, it's harder to break it. But if you get it to the place that you have three, the strongest form that you can make of a cord is three cords. And the husband is one of those strands. And the wife is another second strand. But then you have God who has to be intertwined. And if you don't have faith, if you don't have God, if you don't have Jesus, if you don't build on the solid rock, the home that you're building, you must have that threefold cord. And Sharice knows that God is first. And I know in her life, God is first. Because I won't be the husband and she won't be the wife unless God is in the middle of our relationship. That's where you have to start with everything. I told them this morning when Sharice and I got married in Buford down the road, we, uh, we had to stay for the reception and it just went on and on and on, quite frankly. It seemed like it would never end. And, and we finally got to the hotel and we prayed a quick prayer. We prayed, it was a short prayer. It was a powerful short prayer. And we prayed, Lord, we give you our marriage. We give you our family. You may think that's not important. And then we moved on to other things. But, but the truth is when you pray and when you say, God, we really need faith in this home. We really need your help. We're not the perfect family. We're not the perfect marriage. We're not the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect dad. We need your help. God never turns that family away and he comes running to that family. So the first thing is faith. And then we see something else in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. He says that you are to submit. He talks about accepting God's plan for your home. And when he does that, he starts off by telling the women to submit to the husband as the head of the homes. First Corinthians 11 and verse three says that God has placed, and I'm just the message boy. I'm just here to give you this. And, and, and this is what it says. He says, if you want to know, and listen, 
Listen, you can choose to ignore this. You can say that's, that's not modern enough. That's not progressive enough for the way I see it. But he says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So you must accept God's plan for the home. The second word is acceptance. What does that mean? That means you accept one another's role. And the man is the head. That does not say the man is the boss. The head of the home is not the boss of the home. Then what does it mean? What does the head of the home mean? It means you have as the man the responsibility of the home. You see, equality of worth is established in the Bible. He said we're neither male nor female in God's eyes. And he says there's no one worth more than the other. But when it comes to function, we're not the same in the function. And God said the head of the home, not the boss of the home, it, and the word head means responsibility. It does not mean you have greater privilege. It does not mean that you have greater privilege. It means you have greater responsibility. It means if the marriage is not working, you have greater responsibility, sir. To be the head of the home means if the family is in shambles, you have greater responsibility. It means you take responsibility. It means you have to do the best that you can do and understand the failure. Uh, if I let my family fall to pieces, it's not her fault. I have to take responsibility and I have to understand. And God says, if you, if you understand this and each one understands their role, then you can begin to have the ingredients, faith and then understanding the role that each one and acceptance of that role. A lot of fussing and fighting over this very thing. But once it begins to get in place, God can bless that home. Thirdly, there's contentment. First Peter chapter 3. It said that we're heirs together. When you study the life of Abraham and you study the life of Sarah, they had a spirit of contentment. When they started out, they were not wealthy. Now, Abraham became extremely wealthy and Sarah became extremely wealthy. The Bible said they had very much cattle, gold, silver, and land and possessions. They were extremely wealthy later in life. But when they started out, they had nothing. They were not wealthy. They learned the secret of contentment. And that's why the Bible said they're heirs together, meaning that if you don't have this and you don't have that, Really, if you reach that point where I have my husband, I have my wife, and I have my God, and I have food, and I have clothes, and I am content, then you will begin to see the blessing of God. We're living in such a materialistic society. We live in such under such financial pressure, and we don't understand the secret of contentment. When you can get along with God and with one another, and you, Jesus said, if you've got food and clothing, be content. If you've got more than that, I'm happy for you. If you've got just everything that money can buy, I'm happy for you. The Bible said God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. But to whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. And if you can't be happy, just you 
and your wife or you and your husband and God, you won't be happy when it's you and your wife and 10 homes and 10 cars and 10. It all goes back down to what really matters in life. If you have your wife, if you have your husband, if you have your God, if you've got food and clothing, you have all that you need for contentment in your life. And boy, if you ever get that revelation, that's why he goes on and he says, so ladies, so what if you can't fix your hair like you want to? Sometimes you just don't have the resources to do that. Or so what if you don't have the gold jewelry and the latest stuff and the Louis Vuitton purse and the Gucci shoes or whatever else? That really is not what life is about. That's all he's saying. He's not saying you can't have them. If you can afford them, great. But you can't base the happiness of your life on material things. You know, he said the fixing of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of apparel, the clothes that you wear. God's not against you fixing yourself up. Sarah was 80 years old again, and she was a knockout. But if that's what you value about your relationship, you are setting yourself up for a disaster. The Bible said the thing that is beautiful in a relationship, he goes on to say, is a meek and a quiet spirit. It becomes more and more beautiful, a meek Meekness is not weakness. It's interesting that the Roman army was described as being meek because in that culture, the word meek means to be under control. The word meek means that you, when you're meek, you are not out of control. A meek spirit is not some little woman this week. But a woman that he's talking about, that spirit that Sarah had, she was extremely strong. She was extremely powerful. God does not want weak women. He wants meek women. It's like the powerful horse that weighs 1,500 pounds coming under the submission of a bridle. It's all of that power that's not out of control, but is submitted to the bridle. It's, it's like the river that's flowing, that's powerful, and you hem it up with a dam, and then it produces electricity that, that turns on the lights all over the place because it, it has to come under submission, and you come under the submission of God, and you come under submission of God's Word, and God says when you're meek, you're not weak. Jesus was meek, and he was lowly, and he was mild, but the Scripture did not ever say Jesus was weak. And then the Scripture said, and she she has, she is that of a quiet spirit. Maybe they can throw that up. A quiet spirit doesn't mean mousy. It doesn't mean timid. It means tranquil. It means serene. It's a person who has learned to be content. It's a person who is in control, not out of control. And God says, when I see that, it is a precious sight in my eyes. The next thing that we see in this text, the next ingredient is forgiveness. For he goes on to say in 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 8 through 10, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love for one another. 
tenderhearted, be courteous, be loving. In other words, what he's saying is you got to be forgiving. All married people must learn to forgive, not returning evil for evil and reviling or, 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 or just attacking, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, knowing that if you're in marriage, you're called to, 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 to not to be courteous, to not render evil for evil, to not render uh, attack for attack. You're called to this. And then he goes on to say, if you want, the next verse says, would you like to love life? Isn't that powerful? He who would love life. How many of you want to love your life? How many of you are tired of getting up and being mad? How many of you would like to get up and love life today? He said, I'm going to tell you how to do it. How many of you would like to see good days? How many of you like to see good days in your house? The Bible said in Deuteronomy that your home could be filled with days of heaven on earth. It's, that's a Bible verse that your days will be as heaven. How many of you like to see good days? And how many of you like to love your life? He said, then let them refrain. And this is all in context with don't, don't give them as good as they send you. Don't forget, be courteous, be kind, be forgiving, love one another. He said, and refrain your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. The King James says, all married people must learn to forgive. All married people must practice forgiveness. And you know, the number one thing that destroys homes, literal physical homes, is not tornadoes, is not earthquakes, it's termites. The number one destroyer, little bitty things that you let crawl into your house and those little things team up and little things, that bitterness, that unwillingness to forgive, that spirit that carries a grudge, that spirit not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but counterwise blessing. So there are three levels that you can live life on. The first level is the hellish level. And the hellish level is when you give back evil for good. That somebody's being good to you and doing good to you and trying to do good to you and you turn around with a bitter, angry spirit and rail at them. And they, they, you're doing, they're doing good and you're doing evil. That's the hellish level. And then there's the human level. The human level is, well, if you're good to me, then I'll be good to you. If you're kind to me, then I'll be kind to you. If you're loving to me, then I'll be loving to you. That's human level love. I'll give you what you give me. If you hurt me, I'll hurt you. That's really how human level functions. I do to you what you do to me. Hellish level says I do good to you if you do evil to me. But heavenly level says I will do and give you back good for evil. Not railing for railing, not attack for attack, but good for evil. Listen to me. And sometimes the wife has to practice it. And sometimes the husband has to be the one who this time I'm going to give good from evil. And we cannot allow ourselves to not function in forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important. And the longer we allow those termites to come up through the floor and eat away at our homes and destroy because of bitterness and unforgiveness. Let's not live on a hellish level. Let's not live on a human level. 
You hurt me, I hurt you. You do good to me, I do good to you. Let's live on a heavenly level that, Lord, I'm going to be quick to forgive and courteous and help us to do it, not just preach it and say it. Clap your hands like you want to do it, even if you don't. It's hard to make up. It's hard to forgive. The burden of bitterness is like getting a splinter in your finger and you see it and you just ignore it, but it won't let you ignore it long. And before you know it, it's infected and it's hurting. That's why the Bible said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's why the Bible said, don't go to bed back to back, angry and pouting. Don't do it. Sometimes it's hard to make up, but you've got to do what you've got to do, and the enemy is the one who's telling you, give them railing for railing and attack for attack, and God says, I don't want that anymore. The termites are eating you up. I found this the other day, and I read about a couple that had gone on their honeymoon to Europe, and they came back, and they bought one of these, uh, they called it, they call them a yodel bear. You know the yodeling? Y'all know what yodeling is? You want me to do it for you? Anybody know how to yodel in here? Well, I'm not going to try. But, but they have something over there called, I think it's in Sweden, called yodel bears. There he is right there. Isn't that cute? And they said when you push his belly, they bought this on their uh, honeymoon. They bought one. And, and they said when they, when they didn't buy it for this reason, but when they got to listening to it, they said when they pushed the button, that it makes this noise and it says, it says, you oughta, oughta, it says, you oughta, you oughta, you oughta, oughta hug me. And that's what it sounds like when they're yodeling. You oughta, oughta hug me. And they both agreed, you know, it does sound like that. So they said they brought it home and they put it in the drawer. And every time they get on each other's nerves or every time they have a fight, one of them will just go in there and open the drawer and pull it out and push the belly of that little bear. And it'll say, you ought to to hug me. And and the person knows I need to go put my arms around my wife. And they meld in each other's arms and they forgive one another. And I ordered a thousand of them. I'm going to have them out in the lobby next week for $29.95. How many of you need a Yoda, Yoda, Alda, Alda, hug a, hug a me? Come on, say amen. Isn't that good, though? How long are you going to go on? You ought to, ought to hug me. That would solve a lot of problems. Melt in one another's arms. Stop fighting the person you love the most, the one human being that you love more than any other human being. It's insanity. Turn to somebody and say, you ought to, ought to hug me. I love that. That boy with that hood on, you just got a kiss on the lips. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's powerful. I love that. The fifth thing, I'm almost done. The fifth thing we see in this text is communication. He says, he that loves life, as I said, will refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Abraham and Sarah were so different. The Lord spoke to me and said, Jensen and Sharice are so different. So different. But Proverbs 18 and 21 says, you've got to learn to communicate. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. And You have to plan to communicate. Make four dates every week. Make a date with God. Try to do it every day and spend time in his word and pray. 
make a date with your kids or your grandkids. I love to do that. I make dates with my grandkids. And on a Friday night, I'll call Courtney and I'll say, I want to come get the girls. And I just want to do something with them. I want to take them to a jump place or I want to go do something crazy with them. And we're going to have the biggest time. I'll bring them back home and they'll be worn out and sugared up and, and, and they'll have everything they wanted and then some. But I love and I found that it helps to make a date, plan a date, plan a date with God, plan a date with your son or your daughter. When my children were growing up, my daughters, I used to go on dates with each one of them all alone. And I was cheap and a cheap date because I would call the funeral home. I do a lot of work with them. And I said, I need a limousine. I'm taking my daughter out on a date to Atlanta. And they would bring me the hearse limousine. It was free. So what's the problem? And, and uh, they did kids, little kids. They didn't know any different. They, wow, daddy, you got a limousine. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And, and I would take them out on dates. I took Caroline one time uh, on one of those from, uh, Memorial Parks <laughs> picked me up in a white one, white stretch limo, and and we went to the tower in downtown Atlanta. Is that still there? That the the rotating? No, it's gone. See, well, we had the greatest time though, just me and her, just sitting up there, going around the city of Atlanta, rotating. We all I always remember. My point is, you plan things like that. You have to you have to plan a date with yourself sometimes, where you where you take time to to to. Uh, recoup. You take time to think, to pray, to recreation, whatever it is, meditate, time alone. You need some time alone. Make a date with yourself, but then make a date with your spouse. Get out of the house. One thing I read said, avoid emotional sensitive stuff when you go on a date. Isn't that good advice? And then lastly, romance. Likewise, you husbands dwell together with them, with knowledge. Dwell means to live with, sharing. Dwell means not just to be in the house, but to dwell, to live with, in sharing, the physical part of marriage. Giving honor. Listen to those words. Everybody say those words. Giving honor to the wife. Giving honor to the wife. There's nothing worse than to hear a guy put his wife down publicly and privately. Giving honor giving honor. God, help us to give honor. Give honor to your wife. Give honor, value. Show her that she is the number one human relationship in your life. Sincere compliments. Sincere compliments. No cheap jokes. Everybody needs compliments. Everybody, when Sharice tells me I look good, I feel so good. I feel whether I look good or not, I believe it if she tells me. <laughs> we need to give more compliments to one another. We need to speak more things. If you think it, speak it. If you think it, if you think they're amazing, if you notice something and you see them doing something and you think that's incredible. It's so easy to keep that to yourself, but say it. Give compliments to one another. Speak it. Use your communication skills. Keep joy and excitement and romance in your marriage. Call your spouse and check in with them all day. Communicate. Tell them you're on your ride home. The Love Mobile 
is coming in. Sensitize your lips. I'll be there. Do something that speaks and verbalizes your love one for another. Do it spontaneously. Do it as often as you can. Say, I love you out loud. Let your children hear it. Let people see it. But most of all, let her know it. Let him know it. Men don't always want to be the aggressor. Men also want to know that their wife wants them and desires them. How do you fight fair? I'm almost done. The Eskimo style. You can freeze up and ignore them. You can nurse a grudge. You can give them the silent treatment. Some people fight Eskimo style. They just freeze up and get mad and ignore one another. Then there's the cowboy style. Shoot them up and leave them for dead. Take no prisoners. In the heat of the passion, say what hurts your spouse. Say it as mean and hard and usually as loud as you can. Then there's the Houdini style. Rather than facing the issue, you just disappear. I'll just leave. But God says, I don't want you to leave. Here's the last point. The last thing we see in this text is he says, make sure that you do all of these things that I've said, that your prayers be not hindered. The last thing, the last ingredient is prayer. Prayer in the marriage. Prayer in the family. Prayer in the home. Praying for one another. Agreeing. Speaking. The name of Jesus over your family. The name of Jesus over your marriage. And I, I, I know this isn't some super duper sermon this morning, but if we could just practice half of what we're preaching up here today, our homes, we would see good days. We would see, we would have a good life. We would live a good life. We would see more contentment and peace and joy and moments that, really is all we have when it's all said and done with one another. How many of you desire to be the mate God has called you to be? Let me see your hand. Whether you're single or whether you're married, I want to be that mate that God's called me to be. You may be listening to me this morning. You may say, well, it's too late, Pastor. My family is disintegrated. My marriage is over. Or I'm living with my husband, but... It's like single life. We're disconnected and broken. The good news is if Abraham and Sarah were not perfect, we don't have to be perfect. We can have all kinds of stuff going on in our families and in our marriages, in our home. And if we'll just keep coming back to God, coming back to the word, coming back to the truth of the scriptures, God says, I can fix the broken pieces. I can take what's left if you've been through a divorce. The miracle's not in what you've lost, it's in what's left. Let him take what's left and bless it and make up your mind that this time, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you may be listening to me right now. You say, well, all the good guys are gone, Pastor. I just can't find another good guy. I think they're all married or 
just they don't exist. The good girls are gone. That's not true. God is a matchmaker. And God has a plan for your single life and for your married life. And he says, my timing is right. You be the person that I preached. If you're female, you be that Sarah spirit of meek and mild and in control. Even willing to submit as you find and don't dare submit to a man who's not submitted to God. But boy, when you find one that loves God, if he's doing his best, we're so hard on men sometimes, but when he's doing his best, that's a rare commodity in this day and time. When he's, when he's doing his best to get you to the house of God, doing his best to honor you and provide and take care and doing his best. I'm telling you, as men, it's so easy to get beat up and it almost feels like I just can't do it, but you can do it. By I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we have the responsibility on us. Man up. Be the man, be the woman God's called you to be. I want you to stand. No one leaving, please. As I stand over these families and over these marriages that are in this grill under my feet, and I see the pictures, I speak the name of Jesus over your families. If you're standing here today with your husband or your wife, reach over and take their hand and hold that home up before the Lord. Would you do that? Hold it up. And just pray right now with me. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I speak the blessing of God over every home, over every marriage. I pray for what I preach, faith to be sure and strong. I pray for forgiveness, the termites to die. No more erosion, no more eating away and taking away. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray for every home, every marriage, every son, every daughter who's lost, every family member who's not at the table living for God. I pray today as the marriages stand here saying, God, we are not perfect. We need your help. We need your grace, but we're heirs together of the grace of life. And Father, we cannot do it apart. We have to be together. So make us one again. And you be that threefold cord, God, that links yourself with our individual cords that are already linked and wrap yourself around us. Oh God, and surround our home and be that which holds our family together so that it cannot be broken. In the name of Jesus, we proclaim it. Heal every broken family. Let this be a restart this morning. Let couples today feel forgiveness and speak it and communicate it. Let us today say, I want to want to hug you. I want a I yodel bear in my family instead of a fighting bear. In the name of Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin and thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at jensenfranklin.tv.